Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, whatever. Welcome back to Author News Weekly. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ari McGee. I am joined, as always, by Nick Tacker. Woo! And Jim Heskett. Woohoo. And I am joined 9% of the time by our guest host, Mr. Craig Hart. How you doing, Craig? Doing well. I think I've become a professional guest host. You're doing great, man. You're doing great. I did the numbers. I was like, how many times have you been on? How many shows have we had? 9%. 9% of the time, dude. (laughs) That's not bad. That's not bad. I'll edge it up to 10. I think I'd feel good with 10. We'll get you, man. We'll get you there. Don't worry. Don't worry. You (laughs) might have my job next week when these guys get tired of me. So, all right. In any event, what's going on today, people? How y'all doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. All right. Good. Wow. Very enthusiastic bunch here. (laughs) Uh, well, we said all the good stuff before we pressed record. Okay, so I, I got a question for you guys. Let's say that you want to be an author, right? And that's a hypothetical. I don't know if anyone mm. listening to this wants to be an author. Mm. How often would you recommend that someone who wants to be an author sits down and write? Craig, how often do you recommend writing in your own experience? Um, well, certainly if I'm in working on a project, <laughs> people can't see this, but Nick is... I'm not doing anything. I'm just over here. I'm just minding my own business. Keep talking. (laughs) If I'm working on a project, it's an everyday thing for sure, because I maintain a flow that way. Um, There are a lot of people who would say write every day regardless. And if you can do that, then absolutely. I think the problems come when, well, let me give you an example. When I was first starting out as a writer, I read so many writing books. I read more writing books than I spent time writing. And I would just just trying to assimilate information and learn how the process works. And I got so much information, much of it was conflicting. And so I'm sitting there, what do I do? And I got paralyzed kind of for a while and didn't do anything at all. So I think the problem comes not with we have, say, a rule of thumb like writing every day, but it's like you have to write X number of words every day. I think that is when, you know, the issues can start. But sure, I mean, if you can write every day, that would certainly be the best thing. Excellent. Excellent. Jim, what do you think, man? I don't like to put a specific number count or number of days per month on how much you're supposed to write. I think if you look at the spirit of the law, if the letter of the law is right every day, the spirit of the law is you should write even when you don't feel like it. If you write when you don't feel like it, then I think you're well on your way to becoming an author. Amen, brother. Amen. Mr. Nick, what do you think, man? You're both wrong. Everybody's wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. (laughs) Well, that's a given. I agree. I think just to give a little backstory, like, you know, we've kind of talked about this before, but there was a little flame war in one of the groups we're all in based on how much you have to write. And it was a very specific number that if you don't hit, you're not successful. And I take issue with, let me just say it this way. You're fucking wrong. If you think that there's a specific (laughs) number that makes you successful in any realm, because everybody gets to define it for themselves, right? Because everybody gets to say, this is my career and this is what I'm going to do. And this is my goal and I'm hitting my goal or not. To be more pragmatic, I guess, I long ago abandoned the idea of a daily word count and just went to a weekly one because I've got my irons in a lot of different fires and there's some days where I just not going to get to writing. And it's not about not wanting to or wanting to or doing it. It's simply about, you know, I've got all these other things that have to get done and I've got a family and that's always more important. And so I've just decided that when the day's done at 530, I'm going to be done at 530 and that's success, bitches. 
Right on, right on. I don't disagree with anything any of you guys said. You guys aren't bitches. I'm just saying. I was needing anybody who's I a was, bitch listening to this. You're mm-hmm. calling you bitches. Yeah. I was needling Nick earlier because I know he was spun up about it. I don't disagree with whatever you guys are saying. I try to write every day when I'm drafting. I let myself have two days a month off in the middle of a draft if I just need to take a day off. And then if I'm not drafting, eh, I'm not exactly as on the ball with my writing. So that's the truth of the matter for me. But you do you. Do you. As long as you're turning out words, do what you do. So I think that's the key thing. What works for you? If you are putting out work, if you're publishing, then you're doing what works for you as far as I'm concerned. I concur, sir. I concur. All right, gentlemen. Good chat. Good chat, guys. Good chat. All right, Mr. Nick, if you're ready, I say let's get into the news. Oh, well done, sir. Well done. Good work. All right, guys. First story today comes to us from The Guardian, which I think pretty sure is a Canadian-based news thing. Isn't that right, guys? So it's Canadian. Better be. It's definitely not for Okay, this is a weird story. I guess we just need to talk about this in the abstract because I don't think any of us would ever do this. Or rather, I don't know if anyone would ever ask us to do this. But <laughs> the, the title of the article is Tsitsi Dangarabanga's next work Ooh. won't be read by anyone until 2114. The Zimbabwean writer joins authors, including Margaret Atwood and Ocean Vuong who have agreed to lock away new writing in the future library. So this uh, Tsitsi is, uh, she made the Booker Prize. Uh, She was shortlisted for the Booker Prize for her most recent novel. And she is the eighth author selected for the Future Library Project, an organic artwork dreamed up by a Scottish artist. So basically their books aren't going to be read until 2114. Jim, what do you Mm -hmm. think about that? Are you down for writing for posterity if they asked you or what? Well, I think it's a really romantic idea, you know, the idea of they're planting this forest and they're going to grow these trees for 100 years, then cut them down and build the library and print these books and the books will be at the library. It's a really clever idea. It's a really <laughs> romantic idea. I think what we didn't get to see was the conversations with these authors from their agents because mm-hmm. here's what I think happened is that a couple of years ago, somebody, Margaret Atwood's agent called her and was like, hey, remember that trunk novel you wrote 10 years ago that we couldn't get an editor for? <laughs> This is what we do with it because these authors like it because it doesn't say that they're writing these books, then giving them to their editors who will then put them in the time. No, they're just writing the books and then putting them in there. They don't have to have them edited. They can write whatever they want. So I'll bet we're going to see some of the best trunk novels ever donated to this project that we'll probably never get to uh, ever get to see. I'm probably not going to be here in 2114. Oh, gosh, I I hope not. If I am, I'd love to read that Atwood. I love her stuff. (laughs) (laughs) right on nick what about you man what do you think about the time machine trunk novels yeah it's a cool idea i think it's i'd be curious to know (laughs) how many other hundred year future libraries we've just chopped down and not made into libraries you know like this is the one that gets the press but this isn't the first time authors have come up with that idea you know there's like drunk mark twain sam clemens whatever you want to call them like sitting around going (laughs) guys it'd be fun to just like put our next book in this vault and we're just going to bury it. Everyone's like, yeah. And then like whoever was his contemporary, I don't even know, Gatsby guy, what's his name? Mark Twain. All these dudes were like, yeah, it sounds like a great idea. And then they buried it in a treasure chest and then they forgot where it was. <laughs> when they sobered up. <laughs> they sobered up. I also want to point out that at least in America, and I'm pretty sure because America is the best and everybody just steals from us, that these other countries doing this have a similar IP and copyright law. 
that this stuff enters public domain 75 years after the death of the author, I think, mm -hmm. which probably coincides with when this library is going to open. So I think it's going to look more like a bookstore instead of a library. And these guys are going to be making money on these authors. Yeah, that sounds about right. Craig, what you got? Well, I think it's a little precious, to be honest with you. I don't care. <laughs> and I don't think anybody's going to. At that I don't know. I mean, I already don't care about most right, of these exactly. authors. Right? So I'm like, I, I can't imagine 100 years is going <laughs> to soften me up enough to care that much. <laughs> no, sorry, sorry, Craig. I also want to point out this line here that this is the quote. Patterson said that Future Library was honored. And I'm making big finger quotes because they literally put the word honored in there to include Dungaremga. And I'm like, are they not honored? Do they want us to know that they like, are paying lip service? Like, why? I love the misuse of quotes. quotes. <laughs> that is just the best thing ever. Yes, yes, we're <laughs> honored to have you. Sure, wink, wink. We'd love to have you in our library. That's not going to be a bookstore, and we're going to be exploiting your name. I think it's funny. Yeah. I think it would serve them right if, like, Margaret Atwood just wrote like the biggest stinker. Like, she wrote the worst <laughs> book she could write as like a gag, and then when it's like the end underneath that, it's like. Gotcha, bitches. You yeah, know? pretty much. I would just write poopy, 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 poopy. <laughs> like just copy paste, print it in a book, done. You know, it's just so, <laughs> so self indulgent, though. You know, I mean, it's like I can't imagine any writer right now. To, I don't have time to sit down and write a book that isn't going to be read probably ever, but certainly not in my <laughs> lifetime. You know, I'm try busy trying to put stuff on Kindle right now. Right. Amen. No. Amen. I dig it, man. All right. Good stuff. If uh, any of our grandchildren are listening to this or something, uh, go check out that library and see if wrong the book we were. Yeah. See if the book is poopy, poopy, poopy. Remind me. Because if so, years. Nick called it. All right. <laughs> All right. Next thing up we got it's the second story comes to us from Ann R. Allen's blog, dot, 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 with Ruth Harris. Jim, I think, sent this over to me. And the title mm -hmm. is Chapter Titles are a great marketing tool in the age of ebooks. This is pretty novel to me because I don't do this. I don't really know a lot of people that do unless they write specific kinds of books. Jim, since you kind of sent it over, do you think that this is something to be thinking about? Because my books are usually like 50 or 60 chapters. That'd be a lot of titles, man. Well, I wanted to throw it out for the group to discuss because I've heard lots of differing things on this. I mean, I have polled my readers before if they care about having chapter titles or subtitles, if subtitles and chapters help them. They've mostly said that they don't really pay that much attention to chapter titles and that kind of stuff. I know I, as a reader, chapter titles, I just skim over them. So if there's important stuff, like if a chapter has the date in it or something or the location, and that's important, I should, my brain just doesn't see that. It just goes right to the beginning of the text. But I don't know if my anecdotal experience is applicable to how other people operate. And there was one interesting thing in here where it talked about being useful for the look inside, which I think is smart for nonfiction, except that when you open a look inside on Amazon, it skips right to where the text begins. So you'd have to scroll up to see the chapter titles. But when I'm looking for a nonfiction book, I will often scroll up and look at the chapter titles to see what I'm going to be getting into. I don't know if it matters as much for fiction as she kind of posits here in this article, but I wanted to know what everyone else on the panel thought. Craig, Craig, you're on the panel. You're on the panel. What do you think? <laughs> I am on the panel. 9% well, of the time. 9% of the time. Yep. <laughs> Working my way up. I certainly for nonfiction. Absolutely for nonfiction, especially if it's something technical. I mean, certainly you'd want that. But for fiction, which is what mostly we're doing, I don't think it is going to matter so much to the reader 
I think it's a toy for the author to play with. <laughs> and it can be kind of like, oh, example, a person that I co-write with quite a bit, S.J. Varengo, did type chapter titles in a couple of his thrillers. And he did something pretty clever where he had parts to the book and then chapters within those parts. And he titled the acts or parts and the chapters to where they kind of almost created a little story within themselves. It was really clever. Did anybody notice? Probably not. But it certainly was neat and, and fun. And if somebody's really a fan of that series, it's kind of a nice Easter egg. But in terms of, you know, promoting sales, I doubt it. Nick, what mm. do you think? I like that hesitant uh, slide segue into myself. You know what really grinds my gears? <laughs> what really grinds my gears is people, authors, I should say, because that's who we are, calling anything that's not the active duty of writing words on a page marketing. Just saying everything that would do that's not actual writing is marketing. Marketing? Well, that's marketing. It's just marketing. We go on Facebook, it's marketing. Just read this book, it's about marketing. It's, that's not fucking marketing. Marketing is activity of triggering your people to buy your shit. And putting chapter titles in your book is not going to do that unless, and this is why I was excited about this post, this article before you sent it. She calls it, scrolling up, scrolling up, chapter titles are a great marketing tool in the age of ebooks. And I immediately thought, hot damn, that's a cool idea. All of my chapters should be called chapter one. Sign up for my mailing list here. Chapter two, <laughs> go follow me on Facebook here. Chapter, do you see where I'm going with this? That would be marketing because it's a trigger that causes people to go buy my shit. What she's talking about is not marketing. It's creative and it's cool. And it's fun, but it's not marketing. Rant over. Mm. So I think it's fun. I'm with you, though. I don't think it does anything, Craig. I think it's just for fun. Chapter one, sign. Chapter two, up. <laughs> Chapter three, four. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, you know, I think it's interesting. Yeah, I can't even have a naysayer take on this. I don't know. Whatever. Chapter titles. Use them if you like them. Don't if you don't. All right. Next story. We have. This is kind of cool. It doesn't really mean much, but I found it interesting. It is the most, uh, it comes to us from bestproducts.com. And this is the most popular book published the year you were born. How many of these 70 bestsellers have you read? And so if you click this link, you can kind of scroll through a photo gallery and it has which book was the most popular book when you were born. Now, I don't know if that means critically acclaimed or that sold the most or what, but We'll just kind of go with it from this point. And mine happens to be from good old 82 when I was born, the color purple. So I'm feeling a little bit like I've been race baited by this. The only black guy <laughs> has to have the color purple as his book. I'm a little disappointed in this list, but whatever. Let's just pretend like they didn't do this on purpose to mess with me. Did you guys take a look at your year and uh, what'd you think about it? Nick, you took a deep breath in. I had to click. I was clicking for like 20 minutes here because I'm <laughs> toward the end of this list. Yes. I won't tell you guys the year, but it was Beloved by Toni Morrison. And I have to say vehemently, I did not read this book. <laughs> I violently did not read this book. No, I have nothing against Toni Morrison. I'm sure she's great. I just don't really like anything that reeks of literature. And this one won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction in the blank year after I was born. And it was, I don't know. I don't like crap like that. I just don't typically. So uh, there's obviously exceptions, but never really came across my desk as something to read. And I'm with you. I don't know where they got this list from. I'm sure we could probably discover that. But I wonder if it's just sort of a list that's put together by people who wanted these to be the books that they chose for the year. I don't know. It's kind of frustrating because the year after me was The Alchemist. And that's a cool book. So 
Interesting. Interesting. Jimbo, what you got, man? So the 1945 book from my year <laughs> uh, was Mein Kampf. No, it was, <laughs> the selfish gene by Richard Dawkins. And this is what it says. Author Richard Dawkins reformulates the theory of natural selection, giving readers and the scientific community fodder to rethink their beliefs. Well, that sounds like a rollicking good time. I have not read it. <laughs> I have read that one, actually. Interesting. Interesting. Craig, what about you, man? Yeah, I believe mine was a Confederacy of Dunces, which was very appropriate. <laughs> for this show, for sure. <laughs> well, and, and the birth. Yeah. <clears throat> Those of us who were birthed. I know how old year. you are. <laughs> I just found out how old you are. Well, I old. tell you what, I look at like kind of some of the runs of the more recent years. And I don't know if this is just some kind of bias because, you know, we grew up kind of hearing that some books were awesome and stuff. But like there were some good runs in the 50s. Like, you know, let's see. So 53 is The Crucible, right? 54 is Lord of the Flies. 55 is Lolita. I never read The Fall by Albert Camus. You got Cat in the Hat, Breakfast at Tiffany's, To Kill a Mockingbird, Catch 22, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Where the Wild Things Are, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Dune. I mean... That's a solid 10 or 12 years of books there. There's not a solid 10 or 12 years in the 80s or the 90s, it doesn't no. look like. Well, I read <clears throat> about 50% of the Dunce book, and it was amusing for a while. But again, it just gets so self-indulgent. Why? <laughs> and I haven't been able to answer that question about that book, and so I haven't finished it yet. I'm sure, I mean, I know there are, it's kind of a cult following, and there were a couple parts that made me laugh, but yeah, if it disappeared, I don't think it would change the world. I had a friend who decided he wanted to read all the Pulitzer Prize books in reverse chronological order, and he made it through most of them, and I started following in his footsteps, and it was a slog. I made it, like I think, a few years. There's some good stuff in there, you know, like The Road. That's literary fiction. It won the Pulitzer Prize. It's an excellent book, hmm. but a lot of it is just like, Watch a guy sit on the porch and think about his life for 300 pages. Mm -hmm. A lot of that. I think that's the literary stuff Nick was saying he's not into, huh? The yeah, it can't just be a guy, though, right? It's got to be like a bird that's representative of a guy <laughs> if the guy thinks he was a tree. <laughs> a bunch of bullshit like that. <laughs> right on, man. Right on. Well, okay. I think that's kind of interesting. I may go and read your guys' book from your years and see if it's any good. Man, it's a shame someone wasn't 78 to stand. I read that. That was good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, there's some yeah. good ones on here. If I was born in 2003, then Da Vinci Code would have been mine. Yeah, that's not too bad, man. That's not too bad. How I would be like, I don't know how old I would be. 10? <laughs> <laughs> no, dude. Life is going by pretty quick, man. People in 03 are like at war right now. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of scary. All right, guys. Well, that's cool. We'll have a link to that story in the show notes. Maybe you want to look up your book. All right, so this last thing that I've got here, it's not really a story so much as it's not really craft either. It's just about the business of authoring, okay? And my question for you guys is, well, let's chat about book covers for a minute, okay? I think that when people first start self-publishing and they are confronted with having to either make a book cover or commission a book cover, which you should probably be commissioning a book cover if you don't really know what's going on, what do you put on a book cover? How do you arrive at a book cover that's going to help promote and sell your book and is not going to turn people away when they're trying to figure out something to read? So let's go, Craig, start the things out. Craig, what are your do's and don'ts for a good book cover and what are you looking for? Market research, 
like what's selling to go to the books in your genre on Amazon and see what the covers are of the indie books is what I'm talking about, not the, the others. And you know, one of the things that I've run into with you know, other clients or people I've talked to in the past is when you're just getting into it, you don't know what you don't know. And so something might, oh, this is be a great idea for a cover. And uh, it's not. <laughs> so if you're just starting out, I absolutely think you should find a cover artist, somebody who can tell you what's up, what's selling right now, because, you know, trends do change. And I think it's less about what the author desires on the cover, and it's more about what's going to sell the book, because those two things can diverge widely. So right? let's say that you are really in love with one of the scenes from your book. Should you try to recreate this scene on your cover so everyone knows what an awesome scene it is? I've just seen that. I've seen that go so badly. Like covers, they have, all right, so guys, I want a, a guy with an axe. I want a helicopter, a dolphin, and a shield with the Templar's cross on it. And so they're just like randomly like clip art on the cover. Like this represents my book. And, you know, and he thinks it's good because it represents his book. And like, okay, but it's not going to sell. First of all, nobody knows anything about your books. How are they going to know that it, it fits the book? You know? and, and secondly, they don't care. Mm. So <laughs> you just want to get them to click is the point. There you go. That's right. Jim, what about you, man? What about you? Which question? All the questions. All Any the other questions. questions? You know, we talked about this in the show before that I really liked Chris Fox's 2019 20 Books Vegas talk where we talked about recognizing symbols on covers. And that's those are our lizard brains are trained to look for certain symbols of indicators of things. And that so we include a Templar cross on a cover to let you know that it's a religious kind of thriller. That's a symbol that could be on a cover. So I think as long as your cover indicates the appropriate symbols, you know, like I'm just about to release an adventure thriller and the cover, it takes place in the mountains, but at no point in the book do they rock climb. But the cover designer gave me back an image of two people rock climbing and it looked so cool. I was like, yes. This communicates the genre, even though it doesn't indicate anything that happens in the book. And I will bet you $1,000, none of my readers are going to complain. I won't get a bad review that says, there was no rock climbing featured in this book, but it's on the cover. I want my $4.99 back. They're not going to, because after that point, they bought the book. They don't care. It doesn't matter. It just, it communicates the genre way better than something else. Okay. All right. What about you, Nick? Oh, the only thing I'll add to these wise gentlemen's takes is that if you guys are looking for like a practical way, not you guys, but like you guys listening, if you're still listening, if you want a practical way to try this out, like I think the most important thing is to look like you belong in the genre, kind of what Jim was talking about, followed by something that could be creatively engaging. Again, what Jim was saying. So genre first and then be creative. I think we as authors like to get it wrong all the time. We think creativity is better. So we're like, well, I painted this watercolor after my second lesson of ever painting watercolor. And therefore, it's so creative and so represents me, it should go on the cover. And you are objectively wrong. So if you want a way to test this, just find your genre. And if you can't do that, then don't even worry about the covers. Just go pay somebody to make a cover. But get it, get in your genre. Find four or five covers that match precisely the genre, the subgenre, the sub-subgenre that you're writing in. And take off all, you know, cover up somehow, ask a designer, cover up all the author names and then add your book cover to that. Take off your author name as well and just change it all. Change all the author names with like, you know, a author or something like that. So it's still there and same font and all that. Anyway, and then present it to people and say, which one seems like it stands out the most. And if it's yours, go back to the drawing board and get another cover and, and do this. And if you're doing it yourself, do this until you've iterated down to a book that looks like it belongs in that genre so that yours isn't singled out. And then after that, when they can't tell which one doesn't fit, then you ask, well, which one would you want to read? 
which one screams for your attention the most? And then if yours is the answer, then you're onto something because it fits the genre, but then it also seems attractive enough to want to read. So that's something that you can try. Of course, I've never actually done that. So all this advice is empirical and anecdotal, but <laughs> you know, that's one of those things you got to do. But genre first, guys, and then creativity. Sometimes I'll even forego the creativity for just getting a cover that fits the genre, as I think what Jim was saying. Well, I think I've heard from people more than once is when they're first getting into it, but I should stand out, right? I should have a cover that's different. No, that's no. <laughs> yeah. You, you stand out, but you stand out in a bad way. Yeah. Yeah. So basically it's okay to kind of look like everyone else who's selling a bunch of books in your genre. Yeah. And that might actually be preferable than looking wild. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff, guys. Good stuff. Well, we are out of topics for today, so that's going to be it. You guys got anything you want to add before we get out of here? Nick, you want to kick the Brits or anything? Are there any around to kick? Fair he enough. Says, hopefully. I'll just do that. <laughs> I'll just do that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> right on, man. All right, guys. Well, Craig, thanks for hopping on, man. We appreciate you being here as always. Of course. Of course. Much appreciated. We'll try to get you higher than 9%, man. We'll, Bye, we'll, Craig. We'll see you next time. Okay, yeah, man, guys. We'll work you in, brother. <laughs> All right, guys. For all of us at Author News Weekly, I'm R.M. McGee saying this meeting is over. Goodbye, everybody.